0: So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19 is where we're going to be studying. And the study is called Protect This House. And that is the message that Timothy is going to receive from Paul as he is exhorted to stop some communication that was causing trouble. He's exhorted to communicate properly so as to establish the church. And then he's going to step in and say, and by the way, the church is okay. The Lord, there might be those that cause trouble. There might be those that even walk away. There might be even those whose faith gets ruined. But don't worry. The house of the Lord is built upon a solid foundation. So let's just read these verses. It's not many to read. Beginning at verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. To the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like the cancer or the gangrene of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So we begin here as we think about protecting the house of the Lord. uh, That there are words that we can use that will edify. And there are words that we can use that will damage. And in verse 14, he tells them, remind them of these things. So... A couple of questions. Who's the them and what are the things? The them seems to be those that would go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. where He says, commit these to faithful men. The truths I've committed to you, Timothy, commit them to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. So maybe this is the reminders to go to those that will be teachers. Or maybe it's even more general than that. You can't really nail it down exactly. But maybe it's just a general statement. Any that would hear, anybody at Ephesus that would hear. Um, should be reminded and these things a little easier. It's what we read in verses 11 through 13. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. The resurrection. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So he says, remind them of these things. Reminders are important, aren't they? We set them on our phone. We um, put notes around our house, maybe. We put something on our desk, and we want the reminder. But we don't like to be reminded by somebody else. Aren't we funny about that? It's like you say, hey, remember, I know. Yeah, well, you forgot the last 10 times, but this time I remember, okay? I've got it down. I'm not going to forget this time. Um, You know, if you have children, especially teenagers, that reminders are not their favorite. So we always gave reminders to our kids as they would walk out the door. And it would be kind of like, I know, I know these things. You've told me before. I'm like, yeah, I know I've told you before, but I'm going to tell you again so it's going to be fresh in your mind when you walk out the door. And um, was it always necessary? Uh, yes. Probably not. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry. All right. He says yes, I'm leaving it right there. <laughs> And he's got a verse to back himself up. It's Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is what? Safe. Well, you don't have the verse up there. Okay. You could have, you could have said it out loud. But for you it is safe. This is the reason why we give reminders to our teens. Now listen, I think probably sometimes we do over-remind our kids. But the Lord never needlessly reminds you or me he knows he knows what we're going to face he knows what we're going to go through so if you have a word that kind of comes in your mind and it's a reminder you need it you need it because the lord knows he's not a nervous parent that is like trying to you know make sure nothing happens he knows what we're going to face and so when the reminders come we should welcome them especially when they're coming from the word of the Lord, especially when they're coming from a person who loves us in the Lord and is speaking something to us. Remind them, Timothy is told. And actually, this is a present imperative. uh, Remind is in a present imperative, which has the idea of be in the regular practice of reminding. So this isn't a remind them once kind of an idea. The force of of the, the language is, Keep reminding them. Allow this to be a continual part of your ministry. Remind them of the the fact that we have died and we're going to live with him. Remind them of the fact that we go through trials, but we're going to reign with him. Remind them that the Lord is faithful to us. He's not going to deny us. Remind them that we need to live faithfully. These are the reminders that are fresh on the heart and the mind of Paul. But really, it's all of Scripture. All of Scripture is something that we need to be reminded of in those cardinal truths of the faith. We need to hear them over and over again. So remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. And the word charge here, he says charging them. it's, It's the idea to make a serious declaration on the basis of presumed personal knowledge on the basis of presumed personal knowledge. You're going to charge them, you're reminding them, you're going to charge them of things that you know they already know. They already have an experience. And what he's going to say is that there should not be a a striving about words that don't help. And that can be said of us. All of us know that those silly arguments that we can get into don't help. We know how they end. We know how it divides friends. We know how it can separate Um, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's saying, now charge them before the Lord not to get caught up in words that do not profit. To the ruin of the hearers, or catastrophe, where we get our word catastrophic. The word ruin is catastrophe. It's bringing serious damage to the faith of those that follow Jesus Christ. And so we, I, mean, I wish we had more information about exactly what those words were, but we don't. So we're kind of left to try and fill in the blanks. We're going to hear a little bit about Hymenaeus and Philetus and how they said the resurrection was already passed. So it was some doctrinal stuff. But let me just kind of broaden this out and just say, there's a lot of conversations we can get in that when they're all said and done, they have not helped anyone. Do you know the conversations I'm talking about? Those conversations where it's even you, when you walk away from that conversation with that person, you're just like, I feel terrible. I'm in a bad mood. I'm not happy with things. You maybe have a hard time sleeping because it has been one of those conversations that was simply striving about words. It did not really matter. We could have been reminded about things that were important and that were significant, but we chose to argue over needless things. Boy, uh, the church, we need to hear this, that we're not going to get caught up. I feel like the enemy keeps throwing out the lure in front of the church for the last 18 months. It's like, watch this. They're going to bite, and then they're going to fight. And the church continues to bite and fight. We bite on this issue. We all are experts on all kinds of topics that we know nothing of, but we're quite happy to present those and divide and, and, and disrupt and and we just need to we need to step back. Um, what does Paul say in Ephesians that we should speak only those words which bring good and necessary edification to the body of Christ? As we used to say when I was in high school, edify, don't edify. And yet, so often that's exactly what we end up doing with our speech, and we get caught up on these topics, and we miss that real opportunity. To bring edification and to remind somebody of some great truth that's found in Scripture, so we are to remind them, we are to charge them, um, and that again is the idea: we're charging them is something we already know. We know that there's foolish arguments we just need to leave alone. How many foolish arguments have been started? On social media. Now listen, there's good things with social media. There's ways to bring glory to the name of the Lord and communicate and stay in touch and let people know about you know, events and stuff. All that's fine. But there's, it's also become a platform by which we can just launch out and attack one another because it feels like there's no consequences. And that's not true. There are consequences. It impacts people. And Paul is wanting the church to be protected. He wants the hearers to be protected because they don't profit these arguments and they do ruin the hearers. When we speak, we must take it as our responsibility to know whether we're going to help somebody in their faith or we're going to bring trouble to their faith. Am I going to help you grow in your walk with the Lord or am I going to? Now listen, here's the interesting thing. Timothy is told to basically stop those types of conversations. And so you have people that are worrying about things and fighting about things that that are really not accurate. They're really not true. They're just creating a division. They're creating um, trouble in people's faith. And then he is told to charge them, to give a strong uh, exhortation to stop having those types of conversations. Uh, not a fun experience to have to go and do that, is it? Have you ever had to go to somebody who's in the middle of a, a fight of words and of opinions that really don't impact the faith or our walk with Jesus Christ at all and tell them to stop fighting? Yeah, they don't like that. And this is exactly what Timothy is being told to do. He's being charged to go charge them to not strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. That's kind of the negative side, other than the reminder. That's positive. Then he is dealing with the things that can actually edify or tear down or rip apart or ruin people. But then he comes back to what positively he should do, that which will protect the house of the Lord, and that is to be zealous for truth. Be zealous for truth. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth the church is the pillar and the ground of the tr- of, of truth we have been given the word of god which are the holy scriptures which have come from god which mean they are true If the scriptures have come from god they are true therefore they are to be trusted and we can we can obey them and they have an authority over our life and so he says you need to properly deal with the word of god the word Diligent, or the word "be diligent," and I've got the the definition up there. It's a Greek word "spoudazo," and it means to be especially conscientious in discharging an obligation. Be zealous, eager, and then this part really stands out to me: take pains, make every effort. That's how we are to handle the Word of God. This isn't just a casual nod towards the Word of God. Oh, it's true and it's right, and I need to follow it. I need to believe it. We are to be workers. We are to be those that are digging into the Word of God. Now, Timothy is going to be one of the primary uh, communicators of the truth of God's Word to the church at Ephesus and to these men that he's been charged to raise up. But it's true to all of us. It's true to every pastor. It's true to every Every um, household devotion. It's true for you at work in that family, or at work when you are having a, a Bible study at work or you're at school or you're with your roommates, wherever you are, teaching the children, teaching the youth, leading the home fellowship, wherever you are, as you take the Word of God and you begin to speak about it, we should be diligent, we should be zealous, we should be eager. We should make every effort. That's a lot of work. The idea here is that laboring in the word is not a secondary effort; it's a primary effort. Remember in Acts chapter six when the Hellenist uh, the Hellenist widows were not getting a fair allotment. At least that was the charge of uh, food, and they came to Peter and like, you've got to deal with this. This is this is favoritism. This is not right. He says, listen, find some men that can handle this problem. Let them check into it. Let them oversee it. And so they, they got some men to do that. Stephen was among one of them. And he says, but we must give ourselves to the prayer and the word of God. He understood that there was a labor. He understood there was something that he had to be attending to. And that should be the primary work he was to put his hands to. And it says to present yourself approved to God. When you speak the word of the Lord to your friends, when I speak the word of the Lord to you or to my friends, or household devotion, wherever that may be, it isn't do you approve of me or do they approve of you? Where where does the approval matter? The approval matters, does God approve? Because it's his word. It is his word that I'm speaking, that we're communicating to people, and if he looks at and he's like, that's not what I said. Then we've got a real problem here. Again, parents, you know, give, give us eight-year-old or nine-year-old a message to deliver to their brother and sister. Often that message will not go out accurately and it will not be approved by mom and dad. They're not rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? They're just, they come and say, you can say something and be so happy, everything's going great, you know, it's just sunshine and butterflies and dinner's ready. And just say to your, one of your kids, hey, go tell your brother and sister that it's time to eat. And so from the time they hear that very simple, you know, delightful message, they take it, they process it, and they go down. And if you've ever followed your kids to listen to the message that's being delivered, you will find out that it's not always given accurately and it may sound something like this. Mom and dad said, get upstairs right now. And more than once, we caught one of our kids delivering a message like that. And as they turned around to come upstairs, they're like, that is not what I said. Well, they needed to come upstairs. That is not what I said. And, And they deliver the message in an incorrect way. So, it's not whether or not brother and sister approve, which they did not approve of that, but it's that the one who gave the message. Have you ever had your name used in a sentence like, well, Troy said that, dot, 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 and you're like, that is just not right at all. I've never even thought that until right now hearing this, and yet this is what I supposedly has said. All of us know what it's like to have words assigned to us that, are not consistent with what we think or believe or even how we may be communicated. And the Lord is the one that's going to listen to our words, right? He's the one that's paying attention. He's the one who's bending his ear into this conversation right now that we're having about his word. Am I communicating the words of it and the spirit of it in the way in which it is written? I'm going to be tested. I'm going to be tried to see whether it was genuine or whether it was real. Or was there something else that got mixed in there and does not approve before God's judgment? I'm going to give an account. So I must be diligent. You must be diligent as you present the word of the Lord. Because we're going to be approved by God. We're going to be listened to by the Lord. And he says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Because if the Lord approves of what you've said, then before the Lord, you're not going to be ashamed. Like, you know, that one child of mine coming up with the eyes, you know, the size of a saucer, when they found out we heard what they said. It's like, uh, okay, you didn't really say that. I'm, not, I'm ashamed right now of what I just said to them. But we don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed in that day for speaking on the word of the Lord. And the exhortation is to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, rightly divide. It literally means cut straight or cut right. And these words would be used of a roadmaker. Somebody that was going to make a path. They were going to cut a road through the, the forest, through the wilderness, through the sides of cliffs and mountains. They would cut the road. And then there would be those that would follow along on that road to try and get to that, you know, that, that planned destination. And they're putting faith and confidence in the one that has cut the road that they're telling them and leading them accurately. And they're not taking them off in a, in a wrong direction or bringing them into uncertain peril. Or it's to be used of a, a farmer who's got his plow in the, in the field and he's making the, the furrows and they're straight lines. That is, this is how this word was used. Here, though, it's referring to guiding people into the word of truth on a straight path. You're really communicating what God has said. The question is not, what does it mean to me and what does it mean to you? The question is, what does it mean? What does God mean in his word when he says what he's, wherever you are, what, does, what is God intending to state? The fact that God has used language to communicate to us means he wants us to know something, not anything, something. But we seem to be living in a time and a day where anything will do for truth. But that's not the way it works, it's not the way it works in your house. Your kids do not get to come home and say, well, I know you said do this, this, and this, but I feel like, to me, this is what you meant. Well, I don't care what you think I meant. This is what I meant, and you should have known better. Try that with your boss when he gives you a a deadline or he gives you an objective. He gives you a project to build or to go and get new clients or to, you know, whatever it is. And then then you choose to listen to those words, which means something, right? Words have definitions. Words put together in sentences create a context and a meaning of thought and idea. This is how we have relationship. This is how we get something done. And God has chosen to communicate to us through his word, which means it means something. And I need to cut it straight. I need to pass that on to you, and simply because I read a three or four verses in the Bible that has some language that sparks, you know, well, those two or three words sparks an idea in my mind, and now I begin to fill in, um, you know, the, from those ideas I have about those two or three words, we well, you know what this means. That's not the way it works. You've got to get into it. You've got, to, you've got to cut through. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be eager. And you've got to work hard to say, what did this mean when it was originally written to that group of believers? And then we can come and we can find many applications to our own life. I gave the application. I'm not wrangling over words and wrestling over words and the idea of social media. That's not what this means. It does not mean social media. That's an application of the principle. So we're always trying to get to the principle and find out what this means. Here, I'll I'll give you an example. You know where most false doctrine comes from? The Old Testament. Is that because the Old Testament is insufficient? No, it's because people don't cut it straight. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant. And it was written to a specific group of people, the nation of Israel, And there was a context by which they heard and they read and promises were given to them. We come over into the new covenant. We are now under a new covenant. But so often what people do is they take scripture verses out of context from the Old Testament and they pull them over into the New Testament and they say, see, it says here that he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, God wants all of you to have a land flowing with milk and honey and abundance. He wants all of you to be rich. No, that doesn't say that actually. There was a promise of prosperity, material prosperity, in the old covenant to the nation of Israel as they followed. You want to pick that truth up, carry it over to the New Testament, drop it down, and say, God wants us all to be, you know, wealthy. Well, there's also promises that were given to them of health, that if you would obey me and follow all these commandments, you will have none of those diseases. So we pick it up from the Old Testament, where we carry it over and say, there, God wants us all to be healthy and wealthy. Really? That's what that's what we're to take from this. That, that's not it. See, we fail to understand that when I read something in the Old Testament, I must put it in this context. There's a principle to be found. There certainly are principles. That Maybe the principle for health and wealth that was given to the nation of Israel is, when I obey the Lord, I can expect his hand of blessing upon me. Amen. But the hand of blessing may not be dollars, and it may not be you know good doctor reports. It might be something spiritual. And, of course, it is something spiritual. So, so there's a lot of mishandling. There's a lot of not cutting straight. I would just say this to you. If somebody wants to build a doctrine on the Old Testament, be very leery of it. Now, it's a progressive revelation, right? God gave a little bit of revelation. You know, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's a little bit of information. But then we went along. As we went along, we found out this was going to be a descendant, a child that would come. And then we found all the different people that it would come from. And eventually, you know, we understand that that is fulfilled in Jesus. We got a little bit of information. The revelation progressed. We found out it was going to be a virgin. You know, so through the Old Testament, it comes. And now finally, in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of that. But a lot of times when people are dealing with bad doctrine, they're taking a a, a teaching in the Old Testament and they are not understanding that it's written at a, under a different covenant to a different group of people under different circumstances. I mean, for example, extreme, we're not going to have a mission trips to go kill Canaanites, okay? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, it's drive them out of the land. We're not going to do that. The church doesn't do that. Okay, so the but some of those things are so obvious like that, but some of the times it gets blurred. We're looking for principles and, the, and maybe progressive revelation that brings us into the New Testament where we fully understand it and we fully see it. You want to cut straight, and it takes effort, and it takes energy. And if you don't want to put effort and energy into cutting straight the word of God, just don't touch it. Don't touch it because you're going to give an account to the Lord. But that really is not a very good alternative because you've got to deliver it to your family. You've got to deliver it to your friends. You may not stand in front of people like I am right now, but you still will communicate the word of God to others. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Boy, there's that sense of having to stand before the Lord and be approved. Or again in 2 Corinthians 4, two, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience and the sight of God. So, I mean, again, that sense of speaking the word of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, when, you, when somebody's in the room with you and you want to restate what they, you've heard at it from you know, maybe a previous conversation, we often will say things like this. And so, you know, when I was talking to, you know, Rebecca, you know, Rebecca said, correct me if I'm wrong, and then we go on, right? It's like we understand, we feel that accountability with the person in the room with us to really state it right. And in this case, it's the Lord that's in the room with us who's listening to what we have To say, so you don't have, and I certainly don't have, the freedom to wander through the scriptures aimlessly. It's got to be a straight path that is cut. Listen, there, there are ways in which people handle the Word of God, and I'm thankful for it. You know, some people, there are a lot of a lot of ministers will love to teach a passage, and the next Sunday it's a different passage, and it's a different passage, and they're good, solid. They're cutting that. Those verses straight. They're giving you the word of the Lord and it will be beneficial to you and to them. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for those brothers and sisters. But you know, for me, the passion that I have is not that you will just know isolated passages here and there. I want you to know, I want you to know Second Timothy when we're done. I want you to be able to go back in three months from now. I want you to open your Bible. I want you to be able to look at your notes. I want you to be able to say, this is what 2 Timothy is all about. This is, you know, rightly divide. What does that mean? Oh, I know, hang on. Oh, it means to, to actually communicate accurately the word of God, to cut it straight. I want you to not hang biblical truth on my sermon. I want you to hang biblical verses on chapter and verse and words so that it's there for you for the whole time and that you'll remember this, and you'll be able to pull back, and you'll be able to read it and study. I feel like this is one of the best ways. I mean, I believe those that do it a different way, they're still cutting a straight path through doctrine and truth and principles to live. I just want to cut a straight path through the chapters and verses where those doctrines and the principles and truth come from. I'm not saying I do it better. I'm just saying this is what I'm committed to. This is what, this is what so profoundly changed my walk with the Lord. I knew biblical truth, but I didn't understand it in the context of the Bible. And so this has been my heart's desire is to pass it on in this way. I want hearers, you want hearers, to be able to get on that path and follow it and say, this is how we live. This is how we conduct ourselves." So, He's writing about how to protect the house of God. Remind them of stuff. Stop people from saying foolish things that just generate strife. But you need to make certain that you're accurately giving the word of God. Because this is going to help to protect what has been handed down to us. Then in verses 16 through 18, we see that we are to avoid um, faith destroyers. There are people that just are out to destroy people's faith. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer, or gangrene is another way you could translate it here. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. So he just calls two people out who have strayed concerning the truth. They were once in the truth, but they're not in the truth anymore saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. They ruin their faith because of the message and the teaching that they bring. So Paul instructs Timothy to not engage in worthless debates, but he does want him to confront those that would be sharing false teaching. Shun it. Shun these things. Don't allow them to have a voice. And he said, because their, their message, it, it ruins people's faith. And so there can be debates about doctrine, okay? So we could talk about eschatology, and there may be some different ideas that people have about the timing of the rapture. And we, I, I believe in a pre-trib rapture. I, some of you maybe believe in something different. And all I have to say is you'll never be so glad to be wrong on the way up. We'll explain it to you like <laughs> glad you were right. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sit down and have the conversation and go through the passages and, and have a, even a lively discussion. But I, but I don't want to divide over this. Or maybe it's, you know, with the gifts of the Spirit or maybe some other topic. These are still worthy conversations to be had. So it's not talking about merely secondary issues. Certainly not primary issues like, you know, Jesus died and rose from the dead, the incarnation, the the virgin birth. All of these are primary. We will stand and we will vigorously defend anybody who wants to undermine that. And then there might even be some, you know, uh, primary issues, secondary issues. And then there's even those other issues that are just maybe a particular passage. You know, what do you you think about the, you know, you know, the sons of God in Romans cha- or Genesis chapter 6. And if you don't know that, you can look it up and find out. Who are these guys? Were these, you know, uh, just men on the earth? Or were these angels that were having sexual relations? And we can begin talking about these other issues like that. And, you know, they're fun discussions. They're interesting. But then you get down into probably where he's talking about, where it just, it, it doesn't matter on any level. And all you're doing is fighting and you're wrangling over the use of words. And the end result is more ungodliness. People are not being drawn to the Lord. People are not being edified. They're not wanting to get into the word of God. They just are, they're becoming angry. They're becoming mean. They're becoming disillusioned with their faith. And he says, shun those things. Because they're not helping helping anyone. And he says, it's like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now what they were saying though was that the resurrection is already passed. And we don't have any more information than that. The resurrection is already passed. So what could they have meant by this? Well, we, we can't say dogmatically because we have no more information biblically. But, but one has written, the Ephesian teaching concerning the resurrection may have denied a future bodily resurrection. It probably asserted that the resurrection had already occurred in the spiritual renewal of the believer by regeneration. But in terms of there being a future resurrection where you will be transformed and you will be in the presence of the Lord, that's not, that's not happening. Now, we can't say that dogmatically, but that certainly is one plausible fill in the blank for what they meant. So what, what this is, yeah, you were born, yeah, you were raised spiritually. You remember you were, went in the water and you, were, you went under the watery grave and you came out symbolizing how you died to your old self, but you were raised to walk in the newness of life. Yeah, that happened. You're spiritually alive, but you're not, you're not going to have an eternal new body in heaven. That's not going to happen. And so this then began to overthrow the faith of some, which you can imagine why. Wait a minute, there's no heaven? Wait, wait a minute. When Jesus said that, you know, where He's going, He would prepare a place for us, and that where He is, that we would be with Him also. That's not really gonna be true. No, 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 that's not true. That's just talking about spiritual. And it began to overthrow the faith of some, and so this was having a a negative impact. And um, it increases to ungodliness. It it causes cancer. This this bad teaching is gonna spread through the body of Christ, and it's gonna it's gonna cause things to die. And these men had strayed from the truth. They were no longer in the truth. And so it came time to shun their teaching. And in shunning their teaching, no doubt they would have had to have shunned them because these guys seem to be on a crusade to get their message out. You know, in the 27 years that I've been pastoring here, I can only think of a handful of times where I've had to, um, well, the elders and myself, have had to actually ask somebody to leave because of their teaching. And um, there's been some different things over the years. But the, the number one reoccurring thing has been those that have wanted to say that you had to actually keep the Old Testament law in order to be right with God. You had to worship on the Sabbath. You had to, um, you know, eat these dietary, you know, uh, you know this restricted, restricted diet of the, of the Old Testament. And then if you do that, then you can be right with God, worship on the Sabbath. And... Um, you know, listen, if if you wanna if you think Sabbath worship is great and, and you go to a church that's meeting on Sabbath, I have no problem with that. But if you wanna come in and tell everybody else that their faith is insufficient and they're actually like the Antichrist because they're worshiping on Sunday rather than Saturday, then we've got problems, me and you. And I'm not gonna let you overthrow the faith of somebody. I'm not gonna let you introduce that thought. So we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a conversation with me or one of the other pastors or one of the elders. And we're going to try and work this out. We'll give you opportunity to correct that. But if we do this two or three times, you're gone. We're not going to allow somebody's faith to be destroyed because you've got some spurious doctrine that you've picked up. And you can call me unloving if you want to, but it's not true. Actually, protecting the body of Christ from heresy that will ruin somebody's faith is one of the most loving things you can ever do. And too often, the church is afraid to confront that kind of stuff and or when they do confront it, they're confronting it over everything. You know, it's like you've got to dress just like them. You've got to act just like them. You can't have any kind of a, a, a differing thought that maybe is found many places other the, you know, within the body of Christ and the inside of orthodoxy. But you can't, you can't think anything different. And they try to control you like that, which is not healthy either. But when people want to come in and and spread some other teaching that would ruin the faith or depart from the Christian doctrine, you can be certain we're going to confront it. Now, we're not going to, you know, scream and yell, but we're we're definitely going to confront it. And we'll give that person a couple of times to get it right. But if they don't, they'll, they'll be gone. But I can tell you that every person that we've had to do that with, I've always said this. I want you to know that the door is open for you to come back. But the door comes into my office first. And once you come through that door and we get that straight, then you can come through any door. But you're not welcome to come back through any door until you come through my door. And we get this doctrine straight. Because we don't want to see people's faith overthrown. We don't want to see people get caught up in bad teaching. So it kind of seems a little bleak. It's like, man, it's like, all right, you got these false teachers. And now they're overthrowing the faith of some. Man, what's going on with the church? I mean, is the church going to make it? So verse 19, nevertheless, so these things are going on. False teachers, some people's faith is being overthrown. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. They may fall, but he's going to stand in the truth that he has given to us. Having this seal, it's like a two-sided coin here. On the one side, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows. Well, what about Hymenaeus and Philetus? Did they ever get it right? The Lord knows. What about those whose faith that got overthrown? Were they ever really part of the, you know, the family of God? The Lord knows. We don't always know, though, do we? It's really hard. You know, the whole debate, and I'm not going to get off into this, but I'm just, this one point. You know, once saved, always saved. Can you lose your salvation? And if you come and you speak to me using that language, I'm, I'm going to defer, I'm going to get out of that, those language, because I think there is damage that has been done to the church by clinging to either one of those. It's not biblical language that we are using there. So I'm going to take you back. Let's talk about some verses. Give me a Bible verse for what you're talking about, and then we'll we'll get into the discussion. But, you know, when we get into that subject, it is never about, I'm not going to say never, but 95% of the time, it's not about me. It's about somebody I know. What about them? Were they really saved? They were this and now they're that. And here's the answer. The Lord knows. The Lord knows those who are his. And, um, you know, I may look or you may look and say, "Well, wow, they were never saved. And then they end up being what would really, we would term more of a, a long season of backsliding. Or maybe we think they're really right on with the Lord and boy, they depart and they never come back. You know, it's hard for us to know because we can't read people's hearts. But um, we can certainly judge their actions and we can act appropriately and the Bible tells us how to do that. But the Lord knows those who are his. If you are one that's concerned about your salvation and you fret over, man, am I really saved? Does the Lord really love me? Will I really end up in heaven? Let me just say this. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know that you're a sinner and you know that salvation only comes from him and you've called out to him and you've asked him to save you, then you are in the faith and the Lord knows you are his. Rest in that. Find peace in that. You don't have to be worried about, you know, I'm saved today. Oh, no, maybe I'm not saved tomorrow. And I'm saved. That's not it. The Lord knows whether you are in the faith. And if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, you can be certain. But you know, it's interesting how he puts this seal, um, speaks of this seal, because on the one side, it emphasizes the place and the work of God. But what does the second side of this seal emphasize? It emphasizes what we do. And I think this is what we find throughout Scripture. The Bible teaches, well, Troy, do you believe in the sovereignty of God or the free will of man? Yes. I believe that, both of them. But where does one start and the other end? Don't know. I don't know where one starts and one ends. I just know that I can trust God and that I need to walk faithfully. That's not hard to understand. Theologians can make it hard to understand. But that truth is not hard to understand, and here you have it: you have the, the sovereignty of God. The Lord knows who are His. The church isn't falling apart. Don't worry about it. Okay, then we can relax and do whatever we want. No, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's kind of isn't it neat to see these two truths put so closely together in a single seal? Yeah, as as uh, Paul labels it and calls it this. So, you know, people may depart. They may, there may be false teaching. And boy, we have seen a flood of false teaching. And we've seen many depart from the truth that was once delivered to the saints. And what are we to think about it? Maybe we got it wrong. Maybe everybody else is getting it right. Romans 3, verses 3 through 4 says, And what if some did not believe? Will their, un- uh, Will their unbelief make, them f- make the faithfulness of God without effect? Will people departing from the faith impact who God is and what he does? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. What's that? Even if all of mankind was to rise up in a single belief that was not true, they're all liars and God is still true. God is not impacted by the false beliefs of other people other than that he cares for them and he doesn't want any to perish. But if they depart, if they stray from the truth, they stray from the truth. The truth is still true, though. The truth remains. And so we don't take our, our marching orders from, you know, what are, what's the popular trends and where are people going? A lot of people are departing from the faith. A lot of people say it doesn't matter how you live sexually anymore. A lot of pastors are saying this. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. The word of God has been delivered to us. We're not trying to reevaluate the word of God based upon what he or she thinks, because if you do that and you go through history, you have a ten thousand he's and she's to work through. And so, just because somebody pops up, you know, on the internet, you know, six months ago, and they have a new new take on things, so what? That's been going on for two thousand years. There's always been a Hymanis and there's always been a Philetus. Nevertheless, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. And so the church is not in jeopardy, okay? The church is fine. The church is going to accomplish her mission and her goal no matter what. Now, on your way in, I gave you a handout. You, maybe you read it. You can read it later. I'm not going to get into it. But it's about Martin Luther. It's on this day that he nailed the 95 thesis to the door at Wittenberg. And what became the seed that broke out into the revela- uh, to the Reformation. It was dark back then, it was so dark back then. They taught that you, you, if you wanted your sins forgiven, you had to drop a coin in the offering box, and as soon as the coin, you know, uh, jingled, you know, uh, you, you know, a soul in purgatory was, you know, was able to be set free, and your sins were forgiven. They were buying their forgiveness with money. The scriptures were chained to the pulpit. Worship was not in your language. Marriage was not New Testament. It was simply, you know, a a business transaction. And this is the way it was. And then along comes some monk who gets saved because he had a super overactive, you know, guilty conscience. And he he couldn't... It didn't matter how many times he went to the priest. He walked away. It's like, oh, I forgot something. Or maybe, oh, did I mess that up now? And he kept coming back. And it's actually written of the guy that he used to go to all the time when he was in seminary. It's like, Luther, enough. You know, you're more righteous than all of us put together. But he was plagued because it was always through the things he was going to do. And it's this, this, this monk that ends up getting saved. And he ends up learning to, to read the Bible in its original language. And he sees what's going on in the church. It was so dark. And he's, he says, this isn't right. And he wanted to make some tweaks and changes. The end result was he translated the scriptures into the German language. And so the people finally got to read the Bible in the language it was written in. They never sang songs in, in their own language in church either. And so he, I think it a mighty fortress, was the first song that he wrote in the language of the people. And they sang that song, you know, as a result of, of all of this. And then, of course, then he discovered most of all that the just shall live by faith. It's not by works. And all of this happened. The church was so dark. It was so corrupt. And the Lord was like, don't worry. I know who's mine. And not only this, you know, kind of ironically, you have monk Luther that marries Nun Catherine. Because they were all kicked out of the church and they fell in love. And they became a model of a loving husband-wife relationship. And secular historians say, that marriage changed the West and how we view marriage. Was this guy perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. He had his issues. But you see, God's church is going to triumph no matter what. So... You might want to read 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 14 through 18, and this is where Elisha's servant sees, his eyes are opened up, and he sees all the angels that are surrounding an army that was surrounding them. And I just put that out there because maybe all you see is the army surrounding the church. No, the Lord's got his church in hand. He knows whose are his. It's a solid foundation. It is going to accomplish what he wants. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to be a part of what the Lord wants to do? So our part is simply to just live for the Lord. Depart from iniquity, surrender ourselves to the Lord and say, here we are. And if we will do these things, the house of the Lord will be protected as we know it. Now, if we fail to do all those things, the church will go on. It's just going to go on somewhere else. But I want to be a part of protecting the house of the Lord and the word of the Lord and your faith and my faith and my family's faith. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you for your love and your generosity towards us and giving us the word. Lord, we thank you for the great things you've done throughout history, like on this day, just putting a fire in a, a monk. The things got to change, and they changed. And Lord, you, we, we see that your church is on a solid foundation, and even when everything is corrupted, you still have your church. You still have your truth. But, well, Lord, we don't want to get to that place. We don't even want to even get close to that place, Lord. We want to be those that are avoiding the foolish arguments that just divide and cause strife. Lord, we want to be those that are rightly dividing the word of the truth, discovering what you have to say, knowing that you're listening and you're watching. You're in the room when we're talking about your word. So, Lord, move in our hearts. While we close in prayer here, maybe there's some foolish arguments you've been in. And you just need to be done with them right now. They're just, they've done nothing. It's divided your family. It's divided your friends. It's divided brothers and sisters. And you just need to let it go. I'm not talking about primary or secondary issues. I'm just talking about the foolish things that we fight about. You don't have a Bible verse for them. You're just fighting about stuff. But I also just want to say maybe some of you are out there. Some of you young men are like, man, that's what I want to do. I want to cut straight the word of God for the people of God. Then answer that call. Answer that call. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to be diligent. You're going to have to put forth effort. You need to be zealous for it. But the church of Jesus Christ always needs to see those pastors that are being raised up, those teachers that can stand in the pulpit of the church and give the word without fear, without succumbing to pressure, and knowing that I answer to God and I answer to no one else, I will speak the truth. And if that's your heart, then you respond to that call. Maybe it's a sister who wants to do the same thing and it's going to be a pastor, but you're going to be a missionary or you're going to teach young ladies or you're going to be involved in women's ministry or... I don't know what the Lord has for you, but you just feel that passion and that zeal, then answer the call to become a student of the word that cuts it straight, not ashamed, approved by God.